Welcome, everyone. For Christians, the COVID pandemic has assaulted our consciences in many ways. We believe that fellowship with other Christians in church and in small groups is central to our faith. Social distancing and mask mandates, however, make fellowship very difficult and, at times, impossible. So what is a faithful Christian to do? Are we duty-bound to submit to the mandates or to break them? Or something else? It's not an easy topic to unravel, but we do our best. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today is with Max Carell and Tim Bailey. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. But I, I want to talk for a minute about education, because I think that education is one of the central places where we can all see that we're headed into the darkness. For a Christian family, we believe in educating our children. We believe in giving our children a Christian education. And, and we see the devastation across our whole country uh, that is wrought through wicked education. Now, here at Trinity Reformed Church, we've long had families involved in homeschooling and Christian schooling. We believe in Christian education. And yet, we have consistently argued and tried to make room for parents to have space to send their children to public schools. Now, that, I think, makes us a little unique and strange, a bit of an outlier in the conservative Christian world that we live in. And so why, why do we do that? Why do we try to make room for parents sending their children to public schools? I think the reaction to that on the part of people when I've written on that publicly is telling because the reaction is a frenzy. It's just like, it's like I've just killed a grandmother with an ax in front of the congregation. Mm-hmm. I just can't conceive of it. Mm-hmm. That in itself to me is a tell. And the tell is that these people think that the protection of our children is accomplished by putting a nickel in this machine, pulling a lever on that machine, having this curriculum, having that doctrinal commitment, having this, that, and the other thing. And I've watched a lot of families whose parents had a very, very plastic, superficial Bill Gothard approach to raising children. Mm-hmm. Never forget telling, taking Bill Gothard's course on seminar on basic youth conflicts. And <clears throat> having grown up in a home where my parents were Joe and Mary Lou Bailey, hearing Gothard talk, it was just like incongruous. Now, I know he was very helpful to, in many ways for many people. There were many things about him that were very helpful. He did teach some of the biblical doctrines that no pastor was willing to teach at the time. He did stand on authority. Mm-hmm. And yet there was an engineerish feel to him that was so weird. <clears throat> and I finally realized that <clears throat> the kind of people that like Bill Gothard were people who had an engineerish objective approach to life and to family. Hmm. And what they left with was what they wanted, which is, look, if you want your children to grow up right, Mm -hmm. then put a dime in this slot and pull this lever. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Okay. In other words, it was really like a flow chart. A formula. It was a formula. Yeah, it mm. really was. The fact is, the one thing we know about education mm -hmm. is that education doesn't matter at all. What matters is whether you have dinner with your children every night. I mean, honestly. And so no matter how much money we throw at the public education system, when all the research is done and it's all been done, what they find out is that the kids that achieve well are well. kids yeah. that eat with their families. Hmm. Okay? Now, if that's what the pagans but, tell but us. But I mean, <clears throat> that, that doesn't mean that it's not good to have Christian schools. That's not my point. My point isn't that it doesn't matter what you teach your children. My mm -hmm. point is what really matters is eating with your parents. Okay. <laughs> In other words, it's not that the other things don't matter, but people who fixate on the details, on the coin in the slot, the lever being pulled here, mm -hmm. the the school's statement on this, the 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 teachers, the curriculum, the books they read, the books they don't read, once again, it is not the ball you have to keep your eye on. The ball you have to keep your eye on, the real game, yeah. is forming the thinking and character of your child. And if you think that because you use classical education and you're trying to see a, you know, a recovery of the trivium, mm -hmm. and that somehow that's going to mean that your children are prophetic in a wicked day, and that they're lovers of sinners, and that they give sacrificially to the to to the needs of the world, and that they don't go out and have a career as a woman, but give themselves to life bearing, mm -hmm. and that they submit to their husbands, and on and on and on. In other words, you look at the very points where there is a chasm in between basic Christian faith and the wicked world we live in. And you want to raise children at that chasm to be faithful and to even believe that the people on the other part of the the other side of the chasm through the gospel of Jesus Christ can go from feminist achiever to mother achiever. Hmm. Okay. I'm just using that as an example. Okay. It's not that you won't care what books they're reading. It's not that you won't care what school they go to. It's not that you won't care who their teachers are, right? Does mm -hmm. this make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But what really matters is that my son, give me your heart. Okay? And so when people want to argue that you should never have your kids in public school, you listen to them. You you see what they say, and what you know is going on there is that they and their wife have decided that there's a certain formula that that any Christian will follow if they want their childrens to to grow up with a godly heritage, you know, and and yet you notice that they don't know how to have a conversation with their children. Mm. Do you know? And. Often, some of the best conversations with our children are going to happen where they have a teacher who is completely uh, heterodox or heretical, mm. and they come home and they're seduced. You know, they think, mm -hmm. "Well, yeah, Dad, how come Mom stays home? Why don't you let her have a job?" You know, yeah. and do you try to keep her barefoot and pregnant? 
And where is the real education going on? Is the real education going on at school where, you know, some feminist man or woman has taught them that they have a dad who's a Christian and keeps his wife barefoot and pregnant? Or is the real education go, go on at home where you're hot and bothered and they're hot and bothered and you sit at that table and you talk about that? Now, am I arguing that we should put our children in heterodox and heretical context so that we can come along and, and you know, teach Shore them how them wrong that is? No, that's not my point. My point is that the game is much bigger than the question of which particular school you go to. Okay? That's my point. And my point is that public schools sometimes are the best option given particularities of this child, that child, this family, this city, this public school. And I'll use as an example the one I've used publicly on the, you know, in my writing, which is Seven Oaks. We have a school here in town mm -hmm. that was started as a charter school, so it's a public school, yep. and it was started with the help of Hillsdale, and it has a whole bunch of Christian kids and Christian teachers, and the head of school is an elder in the Reformed Presbyterian Church. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that are leading the movement against wearing masks right now and are belligerent against our government. Mm. Now, this is a public school. Yeah. And so, obviously, it's not as simple as people make it out mm -hmm. to be. When I was a pastor up in Wisconsin, I had the superintendent of schools, was an elder in my church. I had the principal who attended with his wife, who was an elder, his wife, okay, mm -hmm, an elder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I had a number of the teachers. And obviously, that's very different from Bloomington. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so it's not that we think it doesn't matter where you send your children to school, mm. but it does matter that the, the, the whole thing is much bigger than we like to make it. It's much more complicated. And it is true that the most important thing in the education of our children goes on at home with the parents at the dinner table and not whatever the curriculum or books are or whoever the, the teachers are at school. I have never worried for one minute about the influence that any public school teacher would have on my children. Now, part of this is because of who I am, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. But I have been puking behind the steering wheel as I'm driving my daughter, Heather, back to Taylor University, and she's waxing elephant about how wonderfully biblically and spiritual Tony Campolo is. I mean, and that was at a Christian school. Mm. My point is education is carried on best in a liberal environment of openness. <laughs> it's not carried on by people who are scared out of their wits at what's going to happen to my child if he leaves my clutches for five seconds. Well, so this leads me to an issue of binding the conscience, because I think my read on what you have done, written about publicly in particular is that your work has actually been to make room for certain parents' consciences on the matter, that they don't feel like they are an inferior Christian or a failure of a Christian by making the choice to send their children to public school. Is that is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I think it's accurate to say that whether the issue is COVID, the issue is public education, the issue is the civil magistrate, sphere sovereignty, redemptive historical preaching, all of these issues... I am against 
declarations of what the right thing to do is that are maybe in harmony with texts of Scripture, but are not biblically revealed. Mm. They're arguable. Mm -hmm. And truth is much more complicated than conservative Christians want it to be. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. I don't mind sheep wanting to be and to feel safe. Mm, right. What I object right. to is pastors who sell them the lie that if they do what that pastor tells them to do, they buy that pastor's curriculum. They, they you know, salute the new constitution that that pastor has come up in terms of how education should be done or the right way of preaching that you don't preach Goliath, David and Goliath this way, but you preach it my way. Let Christians, let churches decide what their policy with masks is going to be. Let them decide whether or not they're going to sing. We have decided we will not submit to a decree we won't sing. So do we condemn churches that submit to a decree not to sing? No. Mm -hmm. No. Would we adopt a statement saying that Christian education is very important? Yes. Would we adopt a statement saying that those people who go to a public school are in sin. No. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We refuse to tell people that they may not send their children to, to public school or that if they do, they're in sin. But then what we give them with one hand, we then say to them, have you noticed that your daughter, since she's been going to public school, has become very worldly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we say that to them personally. It's not this antiseptic, you know, we have a policy statement. It's pastoral care. So many of these things go on. I have worked with a family, and they have a child in the public school. Mm -hmm. yep. And the child is part of a uh, sex education class mm -hmm. in a public school. And so there's conflict with the parents about the child in the sex education class. And mm -hmm. I don't say to them, uh, you got to have your child out of the public school. What I'm trying to do to them is to get them to realize that their ability to guide their child, the power they have to teach and guide their child, you know, it's like uh, incomprehensible to the father to think that he should have a talk with his son about sexuality. Hmm. which is which is really in in connection to the conversation or what's been said to us thus far is really the idea of him having his son's heart mm -hmm. because right. the ability right. to have his son's heart is tied up in his son looking to him i think his son wants to know what his dad thinks mm -hmm. right yeah and so if he has his son's heart he can help his son to survive not just that class, but when is it going to stop in that young man's life? Mm, mm -hmm. it, never. Yeah, He'll be dealing with these questions about his sexuality and about sexual sin and about all kinds of things for the rest of his life. He's already dealing with them now. He'll be dealing with them. He'll be dealing with them. He'll be dealing with them. And his father is the one who's able more than anyone else to influence him in a godly way. Mm -hmm. And if his father has his heart, he can influence him. What would I suggest anybody put their child in a sex, sex education class in a public school? No, it's not what I would do. Yeah. Right. But here we are 
Yeah. What are you going to do? Just ignore everyone that you might run into whose child is in the public school and has this reality attending? Mm. You have to be dealing with them or you have no way to be. Okay, as soon as you're really a Christian, all your kids will be in private school. Or as soon as you're really a Christian, all your kids will be homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Or di- really discerning. You know, I think about all the cases of sex abuse and incest that we've dealt with. And, you know, were they the result of children being in public school? Nope. I think a lot of times families are very susceptible to incest because they have a lot of children and they live in a very small place and the parents don't want to think about the vulnerabilities that come from themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that. I've said that to parents who have this tragedy that breaks in on their families. Mm-hmm. And I said, so it turns out, you know, I remember a mother saying to me, and this is a horrible situation. It wasn't in our church. I remember a mother saying to me, I worked so hard to keep, you know, my children away from the public education and to, you know, to teach them myself and to protect them from the world. Mm. Well, I found out that she herself had been involved in incest when she was a girl growing up in her parents' home. And so I said to her, so in other words, you've met the enemy and he is you. Mm-hmm. You actually are the threat to your children. Yeah. And she saw that. The, the question of conscience is, I think, where I want to end today, and freedom of conscience, because the, the people in the conservative Christian world who talk loudest about COVID and are most angry about it repeatedly claim you know, freedom of conscience, and um, they've claimed freedom of conscience on the matter of medical things, obviously freedom of conscience and religion and and so it's been very interesting to watch because a lot of the fight it seems to me is over okay who is the weaker brother who is doing the binding of the conscience here is it the person who requires their parishioner is it the pastor who requires the parishioner to wear a mask that's binding someone's conscience or is it the pastor who says that anyone who wears a mask is committing idolatry. Committing idolatry. Well, you answered in in one way, you answered your own question. How's that? How are you binding the conscience if you say obey the civil authorities? But they would say they are. Right. Because they're covering your face. No, they would say they are because it is not their prerogative to enforce any medical procedure or anything. Uh, on See, any anybody, and that's that where those this is are. that this is the individual has been given by God. The ancient church stands in that truth. Well, yeah, but let's leave even leave it out. I mean, you could just talk to the run of the mill conservative in this country at this point. Conservative in this country is going to say, "I believe that I am giving in. I would be giving in to government overreach to wear the mask, and so I have a duty as an American citizen." not to wear the mask and not to give in to the encroachment <laughs> of my civil liberties. So again, who who is binding the conscience? The one who tells the parishioners to put on the mask or the one who says that leave and leaving religion out of it, that you're giving up your civil liberties to put the mask on. Let's remember that when a pastor tells people to leave a church, if the elders request that the parishioners wear masks in submission to the civil authority. Mm -hmm. 
When a pastor says to someone in that church, leave that church, do not stay under that authority. Yeah, if, if your conscience is violated by that, you should leave. That's what, yeah. That but. pastor is binding the conscience of everybody hearing him say that. Because what he's saying is, it is wrong. It is sin. Well, let me take up his side for a second. Sure. Because no, he's not saying that. He's saying, if it bothers your conscience. The question well, is, he's, what he's saying is, you should follow your conscience. Yeah, but that's not what he's saying. Because their conscience doesn't tell them to leave the church and go to another church. Their conscience tells them not to wear a mask. Okay? And he's adding to their refusal to wear a mask, saying, that's right, and now leave their authority. Well, it's it's complicated because you have to deal with the fact that they're actually trying to, they have to first make a foundation saying that this is sin. Forget the... Forget the that, that, what is sin? Well, if you're going to bind somebody's conscience on anything, tell them you must or you must not. You have to have a moral reason. You have yeah. to have a, a yeah. reason seated in law, something binding that God puts before them. Right. Right. We can tell people, don't do this, do this. Yep. Because God says, don't do this, do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then if you're going to present to a bunch of people, don't do this. And the don't do this is don't wear a mask in church mm -hmm. or don't wear a mask in the store or don't wear a mask wherever. No, the, the issue is obeying your conscience, keeping a good conscience. The issue is, I think, from the perspective of the pastor, he's saying, that the people should obey their conscience in the matter. He's not actually saying that it's sin to wear a mask. I don't think they would say that. They would say it's a sin to violate your conscience. That's not right. I don't think that's right. I they say it I, is this sin. is a, this is a helpful. If it's idolatry. This is a helpful fight. Yeah. Well, then yeah. is the question that they're equivocating because yeah, they are yes. equivocating. Well, okay, yeah. but then because the churches that we're talking about say if you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask, and in their church, this is the consistent thing that I've heard. They also say it's idolatry. They also say <laughs> it's a sacrament. They also say leave if they will not submit to your conscience. The elders of the church leave. Find another church. Uh huh. Okay. Now, you know, we can talk, well, which person said this and this, but yeah. we all know that masks have been how people have processed submission to authority, not simply the civil authority, but also their church authorities. Yeah, that's true. And so if you say to somebody, if your church requires a mask, find another church. All right. Mm -hmm. Is that binding the conscience? Listen, I, uh, this, uh, this is ad hominem. But all that's bull. Do you <laughs> understand what on. you understand what I'm saying? Because this this is as honest as the guy who opts out of Social Security because of his conscience. Mm. And in reality, all he wants is more money coming right to him for him to invest all the time. Mm. I mean, how many guys do we have? Which we I've known said that to pastors. Who how are many friends? of the guys yeah. have we known through the years who have been dishonest? And they've claimed a conscience exemption to Social Security. And that's why I say this is, I'm, it's ad hominem because I'm judging what they're yeah, really yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. But I'm telling you, that's what it is. We see it. It looks like, it, it talks like, it smells like, and that's what it is. And Tim's not wrong that they actually give specific reasons of sin. He, yeah. They do. 
But I'm saying that behind all of it is we don't know. Hell no, we won't go. <laughs> we're not going to put on the mask. We're not going to do this. And no, we're not going to do it. That's what's behind it all. And everybody smells it. Everybody knows. You know, I grew up in a church where everybody to join the church had to sign a pledge saying they wouldn't smoke, drink, belong to secret mm. societies and go to movies yep, yep. And, and drink alcohol. And so we didn't have a television. There were only a few families in that church that didn't have a television. Mm. But occasionally we'd go to a movie. Mm-hmm. And we didn't keep alcohol in our house, but if we went out Christmas caroling in the local Polish Roman Catholic family invited us in from the cold and offered my dad and mother a hot toddy, they drank them. <laughs> no, seriously. I believe you, yeah. And yeah. and so when my dad, who taught the main Sunday school class, team taught it with Ken Hansen for what, 20 years, they'd ask him to come up and help serve communion as they were short elders. When he asked to join the church, they refused because he said, no, I'm not going to sign a pledge saying I won't drink alcohol. <laughs> and I have in my file a letter from him to the head of the board of elders, Malcolm Forsberg, saying after they refused to allow him to be a member without signing the pledge, he said, I hope you realize that you would reject Jesus if he asked to be a member. <laughs> and so, so who's the weaker brother? Who's the stronger brother? Who's binding the conscience and who's for freedom? Yeah. And so what I say is, look, people should be free to not wear a mask. Okay. That's what I've always said. You know from the elders' meetings here, when we've had guys that have wanted to push, you know, go up to people that aren't wearing masks, you know, you always have in a church (laughs) certain people who are, uh, shall we say, obstreperous, (laughs) you know? And of course they're going to be obstreperous with masks. And what are you going to do? You're going to be the police state that goes after them. They sit down there in front of you as you preach and you say, look, we told you to put on masks, put on masks. No, we made a decision that we were not going to be the enforcing agent, right, of the civil authority. But we do require masks. And I can hear people listening and saying, wait, how can you say you require masks, but you don't require masks? And I say, oh, dude, have you ever had a child in your home? You ever been a father? Well, so then you're just the one equivocating. We were saying these folks are equivocating. Now now you're just equivocating. I'm equivocating how? That I say that we require masks and, and that we don't. don't require masks. Right. It's not equivocating to say that. We do have the masks. We do put up the signs. We do wear the masks. I have worn the mask. Mm-hmm. All right. And we do talk to the elders. Well, you guys aren't wearing masks. Mm-hmm. We do talk to the congregation. But no, we are not going to remove somebody from our church who doesn't have a mask on. And it's that kind of legalistic, moralistic, tight, engineerish, uh, nitpicky, put the dime in here, this slot, and pull the lever here, who's going to say we're equivocating because we require masks, but don't enforce masks on every individual. Okay, so what are you saying then? Are you saying that these instances where men are belligerating that behind it all really is their desire to be engineerish and the fact that if if they can't comply 100%, they're not going to comply at all. In other words, they see it and they say, we have to do it. Either we have to do it 100% or we don't do it at all. Yeah, I remember being on the ISCOWIM committee of the PCA General Assembly. The moderator had uh, put together a committee to study women in the military. Mm-hmm. 
And so there was this general from the Air Force or a number of officers. There was a chaplain from the Army. And then there was me and maybe one or two other civilians, you know, non-armed forces. Mm -hmm. And we argued that women should not be sent out to shed blood and to have their blood be shed, Mm -hmm. okay? And what was so confusing to me is whenever we make this case, the men who thought women should be free to do anything they want and specifically to be combatants and to be on the front lines would say to us, well, are you going to discipline them? Mm. And we're talking about whether or not it's right or wrong. And they would say, are you going to discipline them? Hmm. And I was so confused. I could not for the life of me understand why meeting after meeting, year after year, they, are you going to discipline them? Hmm. And we would, we would just look at them and say, why are you asking that question? It doesn't make sense. Why are you at, well, you say it's wrong. Then you're going to discipline them. You know, honestly, I think it was after a year or two that it finally came to me that the men who thought that women should be combatants were men who believed that there was a right and a wrong answer to everything. Mm. And that if you gave the wrong answer and did the wrong thing, that you should be disciplined. But of course, none of them ever did any discipline in their churches. Mm. They were just trying to keep from having any larger area where they would have to keep a track of what was right and wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so at the same time as I'm having that committee, we've got this brilliant young woman in our church, a sweet woman, you know, and she decides that she's going to enlist in the Navy and become one of Rickover's, you know, Admiral. She's going to become a Navy nuclear tech on probably an aircraft carrier or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I try to talk her out. I say, no, don't go into the military. Don't go on the ships. Don't be a nuclear technician. You know, have hope to be a woman, mm-hmm. right? She goes ahead and does it anyhow. And we're still really good friends. You know, she's down in Florida now. She's now married and a mother, but she still works in maybe that same thing. Now, here's my point in telling that story. Did I fail? In not disciplining her? Yeah. Should I have disciplined her? Now, I don't mind somebody saying, yes, you failed. Mm. But I don't think I did. But if they outvote me on the session, I'm happy to lose. But where does this idea that there is a right and a wrong answer to everything come from when we see Scripture filled with examples of things where two people can be right who come to opposite conclusions, like meat sacrifice to idols? Or the same person can be right who comes to an opposite conclusion, like Paul. Yeah, the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Circumcising one guy and not circumcising (laughs) another. Uh, we all live with this kind of reality with the speed limit. Some people are very, very meticulous about the speed limit, but most people realize that the guy who's going the speed limit is probably more of a danger than everybody else on the highway because on the highway, everybody's going five to seven miles over the speed limit and some people 30, but everybody 
five to seven miles over the speed limit. And that just everybody understands that we go five to seven miles over the speed limit. The police all understand that they're not going to enforce unless you're going 10 miles over the speed limit or more. And that's just how it is. Now, don't take my word for it and go get a ticket. But the fact of the matter is <laughs> nobody gets a ticket for going five miles well, over the speed what? limit unless they're in a school zone. Yeah. Or in a speed trap. Yeah. And, oh, and David, the point you're making is not for disrespect of authority. No. It's not for agitation. It's not for belligeration. It is not inconsequential whether we break the speed limit. It's not inconsequential what the speed limit is. Right. The point is that when you and your positions and your preferences are all lined up perfectly along a belligerating continuum of the right side of the Republican Party, and you have the fervor for your position that you should have for Jesus Christ. Well, and you're demanding that others adhere to your position on places that God has not spoken clearly about in places where it is arguable right what COVID is what treatment is what masks are what vaccines are what heck 293 the cell line is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you have so many areas where experts on both sides of the issue christian experts intensely disagree mm -hmm. and then we're going to just issue decrees that these people should leave that church because that church has this, that, and the other thing. And, and we're going to throw around, you're binding my conscience. Isn't the very nature of church leadership binding the conscience? Yeah. Okay, now people are going to freak out that you and I just agreed on that. Well, all of those things Tim was just listing about what we don't know and the experts and all that kind of stuff, it all falls we're, we're, we're trying, we've got this great big pot of punch we're carrying and trying not to spill. Mm -hmm. And in that pot are all the things that are going on with COVID, mm -hmm. all of the people that are involved in it and the concepts of, uh, common grace and how we'll deal with common grace and the, and the fervor and emotional uh, problems and, and things that we're already carrying toward government officials and toward other people. And we don't have any way to, if you, if you start down a road of just flying at it, like it's the enemy, mm -hmm. you're never going to be able to negotiate it in any good way. That leads me to where I want to end today. And we'll pick up the next time we talk, we will pay a price for taking cheap shots and stupid positions as a church, as a nation. If we're opportunist and the way we approach our testimony to the world, and it somehow manages to go along with Fox News mm -hmm. and with Donald Trump, President mm -hmm. Trump, and with anti-mask, anti-COVID, anti-vaccine, the world is going to realize that- We don't mean what we say. Yeah, that we're just predictable Mm -hmm. And there was nothing about Jesus that was predictable, certainly not politically, mm -hmm. not politically at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I think of Jesus saying, you tithe your mint and come in and neglect the weight of your matters of the law, mm -hmm. it seems to me that COVID and our reaction to it has been a perfect example of that. We've been so fixated on protecting our civil rights, uh, our bodies, ourselves, no vaccines, 
Heck 293 is, you know, undoubtedly from an elective abortion. We should have no participation even to the nth degree of separation, on and on and on. But nobody, but nobody is speaking of the judgment of God on our nation and mm. on the world right now, mm. of his warnings. COVID on, being a our, judgment. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Nobody is, is, is using COVID as an opportunity to grow in their submission to authority that is not benevolent. Mm. I mean, that's where submission is tested. Mm. Nobody is growing in their ability to demonstrate respect for authority to their children who have such trouble respecting their mother and father. Mm-hmm. And which is the weightier matters of the law? Mm-hmm. And there's no question that the agitators would say the weightier matters of the law are resisting tyrants. Mm-hmm. But what they mean is not their father <laughs> mm-hmm. or not the elders, not the pastor. Well, maybe the pastor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but what they mean by tyrants is there's, you know, it's the tyrant of the civil authority. Yeah. And is it true? that their disobedience, like Max's, Terry Schiavo, Mm. is growing the respect for authority on the part of those who watch, demonstrating respect for authority as he doesn't submit. Mm. Do we see fruit among those participating in the agitation against COVID right now that we think that they have more respect for their elders more submission to their elders, Mm. let alone to the police officers. Mm. And no, what it is, is it is a complete repudiation of authority on every level except the individual and its voluntarism. Mm. It is each man doing that, which is right in his own eyes. And if they say, no, it isn't, no, it isn't, we're under the Constitution, the Constitution makes us the judgment and this, that, and the other thing. I say, you know, your actions and your words speak louder than your principles there's absolutely no way that people can avoid seeing what we see on the part of conservative Christians and the frenzy against civil authority right now. It's not that we believe that there should be no limits to public health regulations surrounding COVID. I keep right. saying we've declared them. And and we hope to be writing some more stuff here coming out pretty soon. Yeah, but we've already written it. Right. All we say is just because they require quarantine does not mean that they're tyrants. Mm -hmm. And there's a long history of the ancient church that has submitted to civil authorities and many things that contemporary conservative Christians are just in a frenzy against. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, if you have a thought or a comment, we would love to know about it. Head on over to warhornmedia.com and leave us a comment. In June 2020, Evangel Presbytery adopted a statement on sphere authority, worship, and COVID-19 quarantines. That statement can be found on evangelpresbytery.com under the tab titled Documents. Now next week, we are going to read that document and provide running commentary. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.